Contracting Officer Podcast. Our mission, to make government contracts better one contract at a time. Whether you work for government or industry, we're here to help you understand the other side a little bit better. Today's episode is brought to you by Skyway Acquisition Solutions. Skyway helps companies of all sizes know more, do more, and win more in the government market. To learn more, visit skywayacquisition.com today. This week's episode is the source selection process. Let's get started. Hey, Kevin. Today, we're going to talk about the source selection process. We are. This is the process that industry often wonders about. They wonder what's happening after they submit their proposal. And we're talking about what the process looks like. And while not all source selections are exactly the same, a lot of these themes are going to be standard throughout. And in full disclosure, today we're focusing on the FAR Part 15 process, which is contracts by negotiation. So where does this occur? This is the source selection zone. You know, we, we always talk about requirement zone, market research zone, RFP zone, and then source selection zone. So this is after industry has submitted their proposals to the government. That's where we're starting. And we're in the meat of the source selection zone. So that's the acquisition time zones. Let's use this in the FAR context. So this is FAR time. Hooray! FAR 15302 describes the source selection objective. And it says the objective of source selection is to select the proposal that represents best value. Now, best value is used to describe a type of source selection, best value, as opposed to low price, technically acceptable, or a sealed bid kind of thing. But in this context, best value needs to be defined by the government. So when the FAR says select the proposal that represents the best value, the government has described in the RFP what best value means for this acquisition. So the rest of FAR 15.3 goes through the steps in this source selection process. And we actually have different episodes of the podcast that have gotten into the details on this, but we figured out that we haven't actually stepped through just what is the process at the top level. So we're going to go through the steps in the source selection process. And these essentially, think of them like a funnel, is this this is going from we have all these proposals down to we're going to award a contract. So that, that funnel is this process essentially. It's, it's what this is going to feel like as we right. work our So way. at the top of the funnel, the first thing you have a whole bunch of proposals. The government evaluates those proposals and and writes a source selection evaluation board report, and that's SSEB, and that's the folks that have evaluated the proposals funnel their comments up to people in charge of each type, each piece of the evaluation, and those folks write a report. And FAR fifteen three hundred five describes what that report consists of. From there, the process moves to exchanges where exchanges with offers, where the government can actually talk back and forth with offers. The government can then make a a competitive range determination. We have a podcast for that, number 30. Which that competitive range determination allows the government to negotiate with offers, and that's 15306D, so we're still in FAR 15.3. Yes, and episode 48 covers that one. So after negotiations, offers submit revisions, that's 15307. Then the government, the source selection authority, the person that makes the decision, has to sign off on a source selection decision document, that's 15308. And then, ta-da, at the end, you have an award to one or more offers depending on the acquisition plan. Poof, that was easy. 
Yeah. (laughs) So let's get in a little more detail on each one. So the Source Selection Evaluation Board report, that's FAR 15305, this is where the government's evaluation team has assessed the proposal and each offer's ability to perform the requirements of the contract successfully. And they can only evaluate it based on the factors and some factors that they specified in the RFP in Section L and and M, which, you know, again, earlier podcast episodes get into the details of those. So the government can evaluate these using any rating method or combination methods that they want. In my experience, it's usually um, colors mixed with descriptions, so colors and adjectival ratings. Um, It can be numerical weights. There's lots of ways that you can look at it. As simple as like a stoplight kind of thing. You know, red is bad, yellow is okay, green is good. But most of the time, uh, most of the rating scales I've seen have more colors in there to make sure that you can actually discriminate between a good one and a great one. So most of the time, blue is the very top rating. Some people cram purple and teal and some other things in there. Chartreuse. Orange, I don't know. It's whatever, but you have to tell the offers up front in the RFP how how those rankings are going to go out. Yeah, and, and that's, by the way, this is one of those moments where there's a lot of creativity that can go into this, and sometimes there's not enough, and sometimes there's too much. But this is a judgment call. And but it need, the point of this conversation is it needs to be clear. It needs to be clear what is the evaluation process going to be, so that when you write the source selection evaluation, so that when you write the source selection evaluation board report it easily aligns with what we said we're going to evaluate. Because I've done source selections where halfway through we realize, wow, that's not quite clear. So not only did the bidders have problems, but now the evaluators have problems. And you got a hot mess. So, <laughs> so what are you looking at in evaluations? Past performance is, is one thing that, that gets looked at in almost every source selection. It can be a pass-fail kind of thing. You either have done this before or you haven't. It could, or it could be a actually rated or it could be a confidence assessment in, you know, you've done enough of this that we're confident that you can figure out how to do what we're asking for in this uh, RFP. Usually technical requirements are, are evaluated, so there's a million ways to do that. Cost and price certainly is evaluated. And this is a point where I'd like to say competition establishes price reasonableness. Sometimes in more complicated source selections, the government also does a cost realism assessment or a most probable cost where the government does their own estimate of what this will really cost to do the job based on this offer's proposal. So the government may look at your proposal and say, uh, we think you skipped something that's going to add this much more and therefore we're going to make up a, a proposed price for you based on what we really think it'll cost. And that's an adventure. That's a, whole, that's a great topic for another podcast. So after the Source Selection Evaluation Board has written their report, then they have to decide if they have enough information to make a competitive range determination or to move on without a competitive range determination. So this is where this is exchanges with offers after receipt of proposals, FAR 15306, and the, f- the first part of that is clarifications. So this is, if you're going to award without discussions, you can still get some clarifications from the offers. The government can ask industry in a very limited way 
to clarify parts of their proposals. And my experience is usually, hey, this looks like a typo. Did you mean this instead of that kind of thing? And then on top of that, they may have communications, which are designed to be before establishing the competitive range. That's another type of exchanges. And the simplest way to think of that is this, this is a open exchange to say whether or not you want to keep this company moving to the next gate. You want to keep them in the funnel or not. That's what communications. And again, we could. Yeah. Communications are a little deeper than clarifications. And it. <laughs> Sorry. This, so, well, no wonder government contracting is confusing. What a sentence that was. <laughs> the FAR wants you to use communications. If, if you don't understand an offer's past performance information and based on that, they won't be in your competitive range. The FAR actually says that communication shall be held with offers whose past performance information is is the determining factor in whether or not they'll be in the competitive range. So if the government doesn't understand completely what they're trying to say about past performance, they got to talk to the offers there. So after you've had these exchanges after receipt of proposals, then you have to make a competitive range determination. Which is from podcast number 30. Simplest way to think of this is it's the next gate. It's the next part of the funnel. And it's based on the ratings of each proposal against the evaluation criteria. And here's the fun part, the contracting officer. This is one of the specific jobs of the contracting officer. Even if the contracting officer isn't the source selection authority, they're responsible for making the competitive range determination. It's not required. It's not a required step. You can award without discussions. You don't have to have competitive range, but of course we recommend it because it, it's communication on steroids. And it also allows to, you know, it's another round of, of being able to, to make sure that you're all reading off the same sheet of music. (laughs) So if you haven't listened to episode 30, competitive range determination, real short, is if you have 10 offers and only four of them have a realistic chance of winning, the other six aren't even close technically or price-wise or whatever, you can boot the six out of the competition, let them know, hey, we're not evaluating anymore, and then move on to really only evaluate or move to this next step with the four that have a realistic chance of winning the competition. And I know you would say four is too many. Three is the perfect number. It, it, it is. <laughs> <laughs> so the next step is, is negotiations. And there's an episode for this too. It's number 48, 48. Yeah. We already talked about this one in depth and this is exchanges with offers after the establishment of the competitive range. And this is where you really negotiate and you can negotiate almost anything back and forth with each offer with the intent that they're going to revise their proposals. So you can bargain. You can actually have that give and take, the back and forth on price, on schedule, on technical uh, requirements, on contract types. or yeah, They're just about, just about anything. This is actually negotiations, and my feeling is the government doesn't negotiate hard enough in this stage very often. And so let's let's zoom out a second and, and consider where we are in the process. Because some people say, well, you can't be negotiating on everything. And we can, because here's why. Source Selection Evaluation Board report said, here's everything that they've put in their proposal. Here's what I think of it. Then we talked to them through either exchanges, communications, and said, are you sure everything is right in here? And we said, yes. And then the ones that we didn't like, we kicked out. And the ones that we think and really do this work, we kept them in the competitive range. That's where we are now. So now everybody that's at the table for this negotiation process, you should already like all of them. You know they can do the work. 
So yeah, it should be wide open negotiations. You should be negotiating not just, oh, let's get you know another 5% off the price. No, it should be what else can we add? Are there things that, are there, can they improve their, I don't know, their warranties? I mean, there's all kinds of stuff they can throw in. And, and you're right. That process, I think, is, it, it, it's gotten, it's the lost art of negotiation and government contracting is that the expectation is, well, now that you're here, we just got to, let's just pick one and move. And yeah. this I think people are afraid to, I, I think there, I think the government has lost a lot of the experienced people that are used to doing this kind of thing in some segments. I'm trying not to generalize too much, but, uh, that this is something that hopefully we learn to do better at. Yes. And, we, and well, that, that will be another podcast coming up. So next after <laughs> negotiations, this is now called Final Proposal Revisions, or FPR. There was a time when it was called a BAFO, a Best and Final Offer, so you still hear some folks use that term. Or, or sometimes a BARFO, which is a Best and Really Final Offer if you had to do it twice. That's, <laughs> that's my favorite acronym. Yeah. Not, heard not that, that I've I, ever had to do that. And yeah, yeah. So in, in now terms, a Final Proposal Revision would be an RFPR, a Really Final Proposal Revision. <laughs> Uh, and and the, the logic in this is after we've negotiated back and forth, this is the final documentation of our negotiation. Right. This and is- if you weren't in the competitive range, if, you're, if, if your proposal was not selected to be in the competitive range, you don't get to submit a proposal revision. You're already out. And if you were in the competitive range, you all get a chance to do this. Right. That's that the idea is that you, you all get this is your last bite at the apple. So make sure you document it well. Yep. So the last step before award is the source selection decision. So we moved all the way down to FAR 15.308. This is where the source selection authority, the SSA, they make a decision based on a comparative assessment of the proposals against the source selection criteria in the solicitation. So they don't get to use their own bias. They don't get to look at all the proposals and flip a coin. They have to (laughs) actually make a decision and document why they made that decision. And it says – even though they're going to look at all of the source selection evaluation board's written and analysis and you know there's probably a briefing where they brief the source selection authority on these big ones to say here's the deal the SSA makes that decision based on their independent judgment and in small ones who's the SSA Kevin contracting officer right that makes it really easy in very large acquisitions this could be someone very high up in the chain, an SES or a general or something, and they have to sign off based on their independent judgment. But if they don't follow fairly closely to the evaluation board's recommendations, then there's, they're at risk for protest, right? So this document, you have to give the rationale for why you selected who you made and any trade-offs that you used b- between technical or past performance and costs have to be documented here. And if you don't document it, you could be in a world of hurt when if, if protests are made because if the, if the evaluation board recommends we should award to this offer and you say, nope, I'm going to award to this guy because my brother-in-law works there, <laughs> Whoops, that's bad. That's a Human Integrity Act yeah. violation. And looking at source selection decision documents uh, over my career, I'd say, if it's a best value kind of thing where they're trading cost versus technical requirements, it's very common for the government want to want to select a better, a perceived better technical solution that costs more than someone else's solution. One thing they don't do is do a good job of documenting what additional benefits they're getting for paying that extra money. 
it, it's what they want to say is just a blanket statement that says the benefits of of this additional stuff are well worth the cost to the government. Okay, yeah, that's a given. But how do you quantify that? To put a button on this whole process, one of the reasons we call it a funnel is that the source selection evaluation board report can be 100 pages. The competitive range determination can be 15 pages. The source selection decision document can be two pages. Or one. Or one. So the, the idea, I mean, the, you're taking a giant amount of data and you're funneling it down. As we're going through this process, think of it in terms of it's designed to be less and less and less data because there's, there's less data to evaluate. So by the time you get to the end here, of the three people in the competitive range, in theory, and usually, it's pretty obvious who has who's the, the best offer. Yeah. And so it's an independent judgment, but it also, yeah, you're right, you've got to document why that is. Because just saying... Well, yeah, there, it was obvious to winner. Mm, that's not yep. going to be enough. For me. And I think I think what you're saying is it's less data because you may only have to to write that this offer was better than this offer because that's all that was left in the competitive range. Where at the beginning you had to write about all eight offers that were in this source selection, yes. right? It's not right. that it's less in depth. There's just less to write about because there could be less offers involved. Yeah, but well said. So why is this important? This is important because. The process is how contracts get awarded. This is a common FAR-based process, and if you don't understand it, it's very difficult for the government to write a good RFP and understand how long it's go- how long in advance of the requirement need do they have to start the process in order to be done on time. And if the industry doesn't understand it, they don't understand when they're actually going to be able to start building or start making money. From, from this. And the last thing I'll throw into why it's important is this is the 80-20 rule. It's, this is the process. We talk about 80% process and how this is so different than the, than the commercial market is that that example you gave of the source selection authority, we found out he's got a, a brother-in-law that works for some company. In, in the private sector, that might be totally okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, a, I, a lot of the back and forth in, the, in private, in the commercial world is done before proposals are submitted and then proposals can be just locking up the details at the end in the government world it yeah a lot different 80 20 i get it there you go. <laughs> enough on that one next <laughs> so specifically why should the government care so much when you're talking about source selection funnel going from lots of offers down to one this could be two weeks could be two months could be two years depending on what you're buying and how you've set up your acquisition plan. You need to understand the process so that you can understand how long it will take. If you don't understand how long it will take, you may not be you may not be able to award in time to actually meet the user's needs. And this is a great moment to point out that acquisition is a team sport. And contracting officers who are who are listeners on the podcast, th- this is one of those that you want to give to your program managers. So they understand that you may be only touching it at this point, but here's a whole lot of other stuff. And for that matter, the user. I remember having a conversation with a when I worked at Special Operations Command with an operator that could not understand why did it take so long to get this stuff done. Now keep in mind, this guy's a Navy SEAL. Nobody ever trained him on this stuff, right? Well, when I explained it to him, he's like, "Oh man, that's complicated." He's like, "Okay, fine." He's like, "God, he's like, I, I'm glad I get to go into combat and don't have to be a contracting <laughs> officer." <laughs> yeah, and you imagine how those people are wired. Yeah, he had no interest in this, but he understood <laughs> it. 
and so it's the whole idea of that's one of the many reasons we do this these podcasts is to educate people on this is this is the process and helping your customer understand their part in it is a big deal and it's it also it's not really it's not really that regulated i mean you have these eight steps right but the far doesn't say that the source selection decision document will be 14 pages with you know single space i mean there, there isn't that much specificity into it so it you can manage within this process with a lot of creativity and, and a lot of, I guess we'll call it latitude. <laughs> latitude, that's the word. Remember, right. if the FAR doesn't say you can't do it, you can do it. There you go. You have the latitude to do it. <laughs> latitude, good one. Another reason why the government should care is if industry understands what the process looks like and where you are in that, they can better plan how to meet your needs at the end of the process as long as dun, 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 as long as you've communicated where you are at in the process you can keep them informed you can say hey we are done with the evaluations and we are moving to the competitive range determination or when final proposal revisions are received you can say we believe we are going to award in 2 weeks or 3 weeks or or 2 days or whatever you can let them know it's not that hard and by the way, make sure you underpromise because if you say two weeks, they're going to turn over an hourglass on you. So, yeah. but, <laughs> is that they, from experience? Yes, it is. And I mean, honestly, I think a lot of from to give industry some input on this one, a lot of government folks are afraid of doing that because think about it. If I'm the contracting officer, I just made the competitive range determination, but I'm not the SSA. And if I were the source selection authority and I had control over the rest of the process, I know that it would take about three weeks. But because the source selection authority is actually a three-star general that we have to brief through, and I put out to industry, hey, this is going to take you know a month, and it turns out he has other stuff going on, ends up taking two months. After that month goes by, again, because industry doesn't know the difference between it being Kevin's decision and a three-star general's, they're calling me out going, you said it'd take a month, it's taken two months. So that's how that happens. Yeah, so just, I wouldn't say under-promise so much as be realistic, yeah, but, but in that realism, but, stick to the schedule. Dry, make sure that everyone understands. We told them three weeks. We are going to hit three weeks. Yeah. Or, or we'll tell them four weeks. <laughs> hit four weeks. Like, make sure that we're thinking about that before you pop it off. Because it, it can be hard to hit schedules when you don't control what's going on. And that leads us to why industry should care so much about this, right? Do you, as, as a government contractor, do you understand how long it takes for the government to get stuff done and why it takes that long? Do you, do you understand the steps so that when they say we're at the competitive range determination, you know what that means, that you could be in or out at this point? Do you understand that, that the, the government process, you know, we talk about government bureaucracy, big companies have that kind of bureaucracy too. So if you work for a big company and you're familiar with the bid approval process or the proposal writing process and all the steps and approvals and senior VPs that might have to approve things, same way on the government side. The most important reason why industry should care is if, if you are dependent on revenue, you need to understand when that revenue may start. If you think that it's going to take the government three months to pick a winner and get performance started and you're all revved up to do it in three months and it takes them six months, that could be devastating. Yeah, it's, it's really hard to, to manage your cash flow if you think that the time period between the – competitive range determination and the source selection decision document on a $50 million contract is going to be a week because it's, it's, it's not. <laughs> I would say it's never going to be that fast. And I'll circle but, back to something we've said a bunch of times in 
many different episodes that you know if the government doesn't communicate well with when they're actually going to award if they don't hit those dates they're putting the acquisition at risk when you actually get to perform it because the contractors if they're expecting to start on february 1st and performance actually starts in august their entire plan that they wrote in the proposal may be shot you're going to award to them and they're going to accept the award because they won it's great but they have to do a lot of work industry has to do a lot of work to figure out how to do the work in august that they had planned to do in february yeah and that's a uh that that can be a really frustrating process for people to understand until they mess it up. On one hand, I would say it's a bigger issue for service contracts because people come and go faster. But on a production contract, it can be the same thing because you've only got so much production capacity. And this is the traffic effect. Is the, and it's a, to help people understand the basic idea is that if you leave for work in D.C. at 530, how is the traffic? If you leave for work in D.C. at 730, how is the traffic? That, so take that concept and <laughs> Because that's one. It's the opposite of that. When you say, "Hey, I put in this proposal. I got all these people that are going to start on February first, and they don't start till August first, it, it's different." Yeah. And when I, I lived in the see- Midwest, leaving for work at five thirty took fifteen minutes. Leaving for work at seven thirty took sixteen, 16 minutes. minutes. <laughs> <laughs> right? It's a different thing on the East Coast. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. So let's wrap this up. That was a quick run-through of the source selection process. We've gotten into details on some of those steps in previous episodes of the podcast, and we'll get into details on some of the other steps in future episodes. But it's important either way to understand the steps in the process. The government needs to know how to speed it up or skip steps and why they can. And, and without the process, you kind of end up always picking lowest price. Uh, because if, if – under FAR Part 15, if you think about it, if you just took the proposals and didn't go through all the work of evaluating the past performance and the technical approach and all that kind of stuff, you just if you just skipped it and said, let's just award to one of these, the human nature is the default. <laughs> so that's – and by the way, that's what a lot of people – in when we buy stuff ourselves, it's what we normally do, right? I mean you, you're, you're getting quotes, and sometimes you should be getting something more than quotes. This process is how the government gets more than just quotes. If you're on the industry side, understand where you're at in the process and what is happening. And if things are going on longer than the government originally projected, ask the contracting officer, where are you at in the process? When do you think you're going to award? It's okay to bug them a little bit to try to get information about where they are. Yeah, particularly if you understand how far through the funnel you are. <laughs> I mean, if you, you know you're really far from, a be, from the end, your question could be different. Uh, because if you're if you make the competitive range, you made it through a gate, right? But they're still you're a two thousand meters into a five thousand meter race. So just and and I think that's one of the the in fact I know it's one of the things I I didn't realize when I was as a contracting officer. People didn't understand. Hey, um, I I, I want I heard this once. I won the competitive range. What? <laughs> it, they they just because it sounds crazy, right? right? At that point, you've actually won nothing, right. <laughs> except the it's, opportunity to spend more money doing a proposal revision. Uh, right. So so this process is somewhat how you buy everything in your life or how you should buy everything in your life, right? You've defined your requirements and you've evaluated the different technical requirements and the past performance, you know, if you're on Amazon or whatever, you're you're seeing the ratings that other people have given things, which is pseudo past performance. There's some bias built in there, but also past <laughs> performance. And you've probably heard my story of how I bought the Ford Expedition using this this process. 
is the, that's where I learned it, right? So the example I'll give now is that we're getting uh, insurance. My insurance is coming up for renewal. And there's nothing that requires me to recompete my insurance contract from my, my homeowner's insurance. But my contracting officer brain says, hey, I need to go look and see what's out there. Well, one company was a lot cheaper, but they're not really stable. So I'm not going to necessarily, I mean, if you do some research and find out their past performance is pretty poor. And then there's another one that they found out, and this is a service, right? They found out that if I do a wind mitigation test, I could potentially, which costs like a hundred bucks, I could potentially save like a thousand dollars a year. Well, that's their technical approach. So it's, this process is everywhere. And by the way, I'm going to go with them, <laughs> but this process is everywhere. You just, you got to get used to looking for it. So. Yeah. And if, if, you know, you just moved to Florida and you're not used to a wind mitigation test being <laughs> like a criteria in, in how much your homeowner's insurance costs, you might not be able to take advantage of that value, right? But if you've been in Florida a while, you know that's something that, that insurance uh, companies will do that could save you some money. It's a great point. Right. And, this, yeah, and, this, and this particular company, they specialize in providing insurance to Florida homeowners. So their target market, there it is again, <laughs> is people like me. So, All right. Well, thanks for joining us today. If you like the podcast, I think I'm going to pick the one today. If you are on a Segway and... <laughs> <laughs> and stop the segue because you can't be leaning forward while you're texting, right? Stop the segue, pull out your phone, and, and tell a friend. Uh, the best way for us to spread the word about this information we're giving away for free is for people to just tell their friends. So whether you post something on LinkedIn or you post something on, you tweet something, whatever, but just tell your friends. Um, and, and in case you didn't know, we actually do training. Uh, one of the things that I, I've noticed that people have asked for us to give training, and I didn't realize that people don't know that we actually do a pretty good amount of webinars and things. So if you need more help, go to skywayacquisition.com, look up the training stuff that we have either inside the community and out. Um, so this is one, another example of we, you and I could spend days explaining all of the nuances of this entire <laughs> process. And we crammed it into, I don't know, 20 minutes. So we, we do more uh, extensive training if you're looking for that. So thank you much right. and have, have a great day. I'll see you next time, Paul. Talk to you later. Okay, that's it for this week's episode of the Contracting Officer Podcast. As always, if you have questions, comments, or complaints, send me an email at paul at contractingofficerpodcast.com. Thanks for joining us. I were the source selection authority, it would take, you know, another three weeks. But <laughs> what are you doing? Just looking at my eyebrows. <laughs> um, all right. Um, if I were the source selection, it wasn't my fault, by the way.